Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash pockets. Fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by James Daynard. James, how are you feeling about the multifamily market these days? You know, we're feeling pretty good. I mean, our portfolio is pretty balanced out. Our stabilized portfolio is doing well. Now we just got to find the margin. Uh, but, you know, the deals are kind of creeping through here and there. They're, they're sneaking through. So as long as the numbers make sense, we're all about it. Well, I'm super excited for today's episode. I don't, you know, personally sponsor multifamily deals, but I invest in multifamily deals. And I think this asset class is one of the most interesting ones in all of real estate. If you look at commercial real estate and residential combined, multifamily is in a really interesting space right now. And we have brought on two of, honestly, two of the most experienced multifamily operators I personally know. We have Brian Burke coming on, who is the CEO and president of Praxis Capital. He also wrote a book for Bigger Pockets on investing in syndications. And we also have Matt Faircloth, who is the president of the DeRosa Group. He's also been a multifamily investor for almost 20 years now. And knowing these guys, I think we're going to hear some interesting opinions that you might not be expecting about the multifamily market. You don't know either of these guys, right? Do you? I know of them, but I've never got to meet them. So I'm very excited. Well, I think we're going to have very a lot of fun today because they're both very entertaining and really know what they're talking about. 
And don't beat around the bush at all. They're going to give it to you straight. They're going to tell you what they like about the market. They're going to tell you what they hate about the market. So if you are interested in investing in multifamily or you're just curious about what's going on with this massive, massive asset class, you're definitely going to want to check out this episode. So with no further ado, let's just get into it. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. I'm going to start this interview with an apology to Mr. Matt Faircloth because I am a little bit embarrassed that I have known you and worked with you at Bigger Pockets for like, I don't know, eight years. Wow. And this is the first time you're on, on the market. And that is completely my fault. 
And I'm sorry, but I'm very glad to finally have you here on this show. I accept your apology, Dave, and it's on. It's an honor. <laughs> it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me, and and I, I of course, did not take it personally. And and uh, thanks again. And uh, looking forward to today's conversation and mixing it up with Brian Burke a little bit. I'm going to try and disagree with everything he says. Okay, good. That's going to be fun. I'll make it a saucy conversation to to make it up. Okay, good. Yeah, just be a contrarian <laughs> to everything Brian said. Absolutely. Before we get to Brian, can you just introduce yourself for those in our audience who don't know you yet? Absolutely. Uh, guys, my name is Matt Faircloth. I am the co-founder of the DeRosa Group. And uh, you might have heard of me through Bigger Pockets through my book that just had a revised edition release called Raising Private Capital. Um, new version has a forward written by Pace Morby. I'm also one of the uh, leaders of the Bigger Pockets multifamily bootcamp. Uh, that just launched another cohort um, with hundreds of people. We've had thousands of people, Dave, through the program, and I'm really grateful for those that have uh, that have gotten the multifamily education we've, be, we've been able to deliver with BP uh, through that. So that's that's a bit about me. My company is a multifamily operator in multiple states across the United States. Awesome. Well, welcome to On the Market, Brian. You were here, I think. In the beginning of this year, in the beginning of 2023, you were, you were a guest on On the Market. But for anyone who missed that show, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes. Uh, my name is Brian Burke. I was on the Market podcast before Matt Faircloth. That is my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, uh, I'm president and CEO of Praxis Capital. I've been investing in real estate for 34 years, multifamily for about 20 years, uh, bought about 4,000 multifamily units. Around the peak of the market a year and a half ago, I sold most of it, sold about three quarters of my portfolio, and then came on your show and talked about how I thought the multifamily market was going to go down, and it since has. Uh, I'm also going to be the chief disagreeer with Matt Faircloth today, since that's that's how he wants to play it. <laughs> that's how we're going to play it. But I'll start out with, uh, you know, you might know me from Bigger Pockets through my book, which is the opposite of Matt's book, yes. which is Raising Private Capital. My book is Investing Private Capital, but it's not called that. It's called The Hands-Off Investor, and it's uh, written to teach passive investors how to invest their money into the offerings from the readers of Matt's book mm -hmm. on raising private capital. Absolutely. They're good uh, They're good pairings, uh, those books. And I've had many investors come to join us on our offerings uh, that were armed with that book. And that, so I think it's a great book to, uh, to tell passive investors how to approach the, the investments they want to make. Matt, you you were supposed to dis disagree with Brian, and right off the bat, you're just agreeing. He's already failing. He yeah, had one job. You had one job. Yeah, it's, it's not as good of a book. How about that? Okay, that, that'll work. <laughs> I like how both of you are basically assuring our audience that they're going to learn nothing because they're just going to hear polar opposite opinions from both yeah. of you. We'll just so. give other perspectives, Dave. We'll give other perspectives <laughs> okay. about that. We're not here to teach you anything. We're just here to present our thoughts and let you draw your own conclusions. Right. How about that? There you go. All right. Fair enough. Well, I am very excited to have both you guys on here. I've been actually waiting to get to interview both of you. So you guys have a great reputation and I'm excited to kind of chop it up. I, but, you know, to get things started, you know, I think what I'm really curious about, you guys have been in multifamily for a really long time, you know, and we're getting all these nasty headlines right mm -hmm. now that, you know, it's just about everything's coming to doom and gloom. The rates are high. Things are resetting. 
and, it, and I think it's making people pretty un, uh, unsettled right now. Are these headlines in this fear and this doom and gloom? What are you guys doing right now with the multifamily space? Are you guys getting bullish on it right now? I know we've been looking for a lot more new projects. Mm-hmm. Or are you starting to kind of take a step back? And 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 kind of seeing where the, where where the chips lay right now. I, I mean, Brian and I are actually uh, very good friends, and uh, we're in a mastermind together as well. So I I could say that that for us, uh, you know, and this may be what Brian will say as well, that uh, we haven't. But my company hasn't bought a deal in a year and a half, um, and we've bid. Uh, we've underwritten something like 350 deals. We've written dozens and dozens of letters of intent, none of which were accepted, of course. Um, and it's because just the numbers don't pencil anymore, uh, based on, uh, what people are asking for. There's, there's, there's the widest gap that I've ever seen between buy and ask, uh, bid and ask, right? Meaning like what a seller is asking, uh, versus what a buyer is willing to pay for a property that I've seen. Um, it's starting to come down a little bit, but the, the sellers and most importantly, the brokers, I think they're like really, uh, culprits here, um, have not come down to the acceptance that rising interest rates are going to pinch a bit on what we're going to be able to pay for properties. Right. Um, but a lot of properties are being sold in, in the four to 5% cap rate range, uh, or offered up at that range. And they're coming back on They're They're going under contract and they're coming back on the market. So I'm starting to see a little bit of slippage, which we can talk about but there's up until recently uh, a lot of stuff we've looked at's been drastically overpriced when i was on this show back in january the title of this show and if you didn't see it look it up it was called uh, the multifamily bomb is about to explode or something crazy some kind of crazy catchy title like that <laughs> and i had predicted some you know some chaos in the multifamily market and, and so uh, yeah i think James, to your point, there's negative articles out there, and we've earned every one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a good reason for uh, these negative articles, and that's because there's really not a lot of good news to report. Yeah. It's just being frank. That's how it is. Somebody asked the other day, uh, to use a baseball analogy, what inning are we in? Are we in the first inning, second inning, eighth inning, ninth inning? And my answer was, uh, to use your baseball analogy, I'm on the team bus, uh, sitting in the parking lot waiting to get to the next uh, venue. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten on the freeway yet to get to the next park for the next game. Yeah, uh, I'm not buying anything. I haven't bought anything in two years. And you know it might be another year or two before I do buy anything. Uh, so there's, um, you know, there's, there's not a, there's not a lot of really good news to report. I'm afraid. And do you guys think you guys haven't bought anything in the last year or two just because the opportunity is not there or you just kind of want to see where it's going? Because, you know, we're seeing the same thing. We look at hundreds of deals and then we find one out of a hundred that will actually pencil really well. And typically it's value add. But is it are you waiting for a better return or is it just because the math's not working? I think this is where we differ a little bit because we're still looking at deals. Uh, Brian, you've told me that like most of the time you're just deleting emails as they come in from the broker. <laughs> like the, the, his finger can't hit the delete button fast enough. Is like, why are you clogging my inbox with this garbage? Right. Um, so for us, we still do underwrite deals um, and, and that we still we still we'll, we still shop and we've come very close on deals. And I've actually seen more and more distress come in. Uh, people that, that, you know, have to sell versus folks that, uh, that want to sell. So I think that's going to be the next opportunity. Um, we're trying to catch something like that for somebody that's looking to sell for a reasonable number, uh, versus selling for some astronomical, you know, somebody trying to sell it for double what they paid for it a year ago. And we've seen quite a bit of that, by the way, we've seen 
multiple deals that are literally double what the seller paid for it two years ago. And they're just trying to pass their problem that they bought. It wasn't making money when they bought it two years ago. You know, they're trying to pass that problem upline to me. Uh, so there's a lot, there's more of that, but there's, we're seeing more and more distress. So we are actively bidding. Uh, we just submitted an LOI yesterday on a deal, uh, but it was a good deal. I mean, it made money, it, it, this magical thing called making money the day you buy it. You know, um, instead of like being negative for a couple of years, cross your fingers and hope that it makes money later, right? Um, we're seeing more of that, maybe not a, a torrent or a flood or a bomb just yet. Uh, so if there is a bomb, as Brian predicted, I don't think it's got, I don't think it's exploded yet, but the fuse is short if there is one. Um, Brian, am I right? Are you still deleting emails as they come into your inbox? Not even. Oh, finally, I get to, I get to disagree with Matt, uh, because he's right that in the beginning, you know, I'd say the beginning, when was the beginning? Uh, let's say, uh, (laughs) 20, late 21 to early 22. I was literally doing that. I'd get an email of the new deal coming in. I would just delete. I didn't even care. You could send me what looked like the greatest deal in the world. I didn't even care. Delete. I couldn't delete him fast enough. Now I'm actually underwriting them, but I'm not underwriting them because I want to uh, put in an offer. It's more like, you know, if you're seeing two cars about to collide, you just can't take your eyes off of it. You have to, you have to watch the accident happen. And so I, I want to, I've got to underwrite the deal so that I can kind of see like, where is the market? What's really happening? How far apart are the buyers and sellers? What, what number am I coming to versus what number are other bidders mm-hmm. coming to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll have the conversation with the broker, like, you know, hey, where are you coming in on pricing? Oh, you know, our offers are kind of in this range. And it's like, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, just lose my number. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're reading the emails now, Brian. Yes. Yeah, just to make fun of people, though. <laughs> There's got to be some entertainment. I've been doing this for so long. I got to change it up and have some fun. Come on. Right. Yeah. There is some data that supports what you're saying, Matt. I think the gap between uh, buyer and seller expectations is something like 11%, I think I saw last week, which is one of the largest it's been in several decades. And I just wanted to ask you, Matt, as you're doing this, you said you're offering, are these properties selling just for more than what you would pay for them? And you disagree with the other investors underwriting or are they just sitting? Sometimes yes. <laughs> uh, sometimes yes, they are trading, uh, and we do monitor. You know, we we have CoStar, which is a software you can use to kind of monitor transactions and that kind of stuff. So we do see some of these properties, believe it or not, are trading. And I've even uh, through our investor base, believe it or not, it's a bit of a small world. So folks that do invest with me will email me and said, "Hey, I'm looking at this deal uh, in a market that you do shop in. Would you be open to take a look?" And darn it, if I didn't already bid that deal, like, and this is a deal that we lost on, and I'm looking at the new, the the uh, the proud new buyers uh, offering memorandum, and there's there's a lot of things that they're having to do to make the deal make fiscal sense uh, for their investors. Things that we wouldn't do not necessarily cooking their books, but they're just they're, they're using a certain crystal ball, looking into the future, hoping that things go well, hoping that rent increases stay great, and hoping that cap rates go even maybe even lower than they are over the next five years. Um, Those deals are closing, um, but they're closing with a lot less debt. I mean, Brian and I can remember a day when you could buy a property with 75, 80% loan to value from on a mortgage. Those days haven't been around for a little while. Now you're talking 65, 60, even 55% loan to value. And you could present to investors, hey, it's low risk. It's low debt. 
Not true, investor. What really is at risk is your money. Uh, it's, it's more risk for the investors um, because there's a lot more equity that needs to go in to make these deals work, right? Um, so those are trading, uh, Dave. But to the, it, the other thing that I'm seeing as well is we're also seeing deals come back on. Uh, say, oh, that buyer couldn't close or that deal fell apart, seeing it nicely, but they either couldn't get financing, couldn't raise the equity, couldn't something. Um, and so they ended up backing out. And so the deal comes back on at less than the, what, they, than the, what they were asking before. Part of the problem is too, I mean, I see this as, a, as an owner, right? As an owner, our operations are fine. Uh, so, you know, we, we look at it and say like, there's no reason to sell at today's values. Yep. The values are way too low. And then as a buyer, I'm looking at it going like, there's no way I would buy at today's values. So if I can't get myself <laughs> on the same page, there's certainly no way that unrelated buyers and sellers are going to get on the same page. They're just, it's just simply not happening. There's, there's way too much of a spread to Matt's point about, uh, about loan to value ratios. Yep. You know, that you, you might be paying a fair price for a deal when the max loan to value you can get is 60% or 55% if that income stream is rapidly growing. But if that income stream is stagnant, because you're going to grow your way in to more value on the real estate. But if the income stream is stagnant and you can only get 55 or 60% LTV because that's all the, that's all the income the property has to support a debt of that size. And you're not growing the income, you're paying way too much. And that's what's happening. I mean, if you could start underwriting properties at 75 or 80 LTV right now at today's debt rates, you're probably paying a fair price, but that's not where sellers are. And, and these deals are going in at 55% LTV, Brian, that I've seen. And the cash flow is like 2% on equity to investors. How'd you get it that high? Yeah. I haven't seen one that high. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I, the, most of the ones I'm finding, it's almost, it's negative. I saw one the other day. It was like a 3% IRR, let alone cash on cash. Oh, great. It's just, you know, it's, some of them are just really, really bad. Now, some of these trades are happening probably because you got 1031 buyers, you know, they've got a gun to their head. The tax tail is wagging the investment dog. Mm -hmm. You've got ones where you have, um, funds that have raised a bunch of money that's sitting there. Maybe they've got PREF burning a hole in their pocket. They have to spend yeah. it. You know, there's, there's some, there's some transactions that are happening out there, but transaction volume is minuscule compared to historical transaction yeah. volume. I mean, we're talking about drops of 70 to 80% in some markets in transaction velocity. And there's a good reason for that. Nobody, nobody wants to pay this price and nobody wants to sell at the price where the value really makes sense. Before we move on, Dave, I want to throw an and in there, right? Uh, to Brian and I, uh, we'll call it a disagreement. Brian, you didn't, you know, that's because I remember we're supposed to disagree, right? So, uh, you forgot to, uh, to say about cost segregation studies, Brian, uh, and people don't talk about cost seg enough and how it's become a driving factor in this market. I cannot tell you how many investors invested with us over the years because of the negative K1 they could get because of cost seg studies and accelerated depreciation, which in essence, guys, allows investors to write off a lot of the investment that they made into a property to the tune of 30 to 50% of the check that they write to the deal they're able to show as a loss. Cost segregation studies and that well accelerate, accelerated depreciation is slowly burning off. You're only able to write off 80% of it this year, Brian. As you know, it's going to 60% next year. So I think that that, that that factor has been artificially driving the market a bit because I still get investors that call us regularly saying, "Hey, can you get me a negative K1? I need one by the I mean, I need one by the end of the year." 
Don't you love it when people want to make bad investment decisions to save paying a few bucks to the government? Yeah, it's right. so crazy. I think some of the worst investment decisions ever made were made for tax reasons, oh, whether it was a 1031 exchange, a negative K-1, whatever you want to call it. Uh, forget about that. This is a game of making money, not saving tax. Now, I know that saving saving a dollar to the tax man is like earning a dollar. Okay, fine. But losing $10 to save $3 doesn't make any sense. But you guys are two of my new favorite people, I think. I, <laughs> and I know uh, when I want to practice my sales skills, I'm going to call Brian and try to sell him a multifamily building uh, in the next six to 12 months. Can I listen in on that? I, I've said I'm the worst <laughs> marketing person ever. And you know, here I am I'm in the multifamily business and I'm just totally bagging on it so you know this is my marketing prowess at its best James people always want to give people money who don't need it Brian so I think you're gonna get a couple of phone <laughs> yes. calls uh, after this podcast but speaking of being a little pessimistic which I think is a good thing right like as investors we're supposed to punch holes in investments see where what happens and then whether we want to make move forward or not so I, I try I'm, I'm, I'm one of the most pessimistic salespeople there are in in real estate Um but going back, like to work through that pessimism and work through these deal flow, like getting back to just like the fundamentals of multifamily, like, you know, how we buy properties or how you guys have bought properties over the years and just getting back into those core principles, like what you were just talking about of people are using cost segregation just to try to get the tax break when they could be giving away money over here mm-hmm. anyways. People get blind by certain strategies sometimes like you know i agree there it makes no sense just to get the tax break if you're losing money it's kind of like when you go buy an expensive car every year i'm like i don't understand that either you get the tax right up but you're still spending money on the car but so as we kind of get back to i mean the one good thing about these rates going up is it is slowly settling down the multifamily market to back to where it was mm-hmm. 2016 17 18 you could look at a deal you can put your numbers on it and try to move forward what fundamentals are you guys like you know Matt you're looking at a lot of deals Brian you're denying a lot of deals so you're still get, you're still going back to the fundamentals of what are you working through and what are you guys looking for in today's market so it hits your your buy box of hey we're going to move forward right now because it's a riskier market so you want to take your time what makes you push yes on that deal yeah, I, and and uh, this is one of these again. I disagree. Uh, Brian and I buy in different uh, different vintages. I tend to buy more workforce housing, um, like the seventies and eighties vintage uh, properties, and so um, I look at ways that I can add value and take a seventies or an eighties vintage and bring it up to today's standards. So I look for what can I do. To, to what can I roll my sleeves up with our company? Because we've got a, a fairly robust construction uh, initiative in our company. So, um, what you know, what what's possible with regards to renovation, construction, revamping, that kind of thing? And be a little careful in today's market about that. You really can't over. You have to be very uber sensitive to pricing because um, anything you invest in a property uh, in, in capex goes toward your total cost basis. So you you can't have cost the purchase price be too much of that cost basis. So. We look for construction dollars, James. Um, and then I look for a disparity between mar- the market rent and what the actual rent is. Um, most of the deals that we've done that have done that have gone really well were not owned by seasoned operators before us. 
Uh, these are folks that, that were onesie twosie operators or folks that were newer to the space that didn't really know how to, how to manage properly, uh, mismanaged from one reason or another. So those are deals that we really like. And so I, I look to bottom line at James, I look for, uh, rent bumps if I can get them, uh, construction investments that I can make that'll create real change at the property. Uh, and I look for, uh, mismanagement that I can easily cure with a better management strategy. Yeah, that value add makes a huge difference in, in your performa. Brian, so with are you more pessimistic about the market just because salespeople are trying to pitch you bad deals or is it just cuz you just don't think it's the time to be jumping in right now? Brian's always a pessimist. Yeah, I'm already <laughs> pessimistic. Both of those are true actually. I owned this one property that was a complete and utter dog. I mean, there was nothing I could do to get this thing to perform. So this guy, uh, somebody owned it, tried to get it to work, lost it in foreclosure. Somebody else bought it, tried to get it to work, couldn't get it to work. I came in and said, oh, dun, 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 dun. You know, I can fix this problem. So I go in, I try to get it to work. I can't get it to work. I literally had hired the sheriff's department to have a full-time deputy on the property <laughs> to try to control the crime. It was that bad. Finally, I sell it to somebody else because it's like, we got to get out of this thing. You know, we, we earned a little bit on it, but it was, it certainly wasn't a smoking deal. It was probably one of our lower performing deals. And then a year later, somebody's pitching me the deal to buy this deal. And they're like, it's a proven value add <laughs> strategy with upside potential. Yeah. And I'm like, that thing is a dog. You're, there's nothing you could ever do other than burn it to the ground that will improve that property. And so it's, it's just absolute broker hype and you never <laughs> ever believe it when they say these proven value add strategy, it's a hundred percent BS. But at the same time, now we're in this market where the market also sucks. <laughs> so, you know, I don't like where interest rates are. I don't like where cap rates are. I don't like where things are going. And then somebody wants to sell me a crap property with a proven value add strategy in the middle of a crappy market. And so that's a, it's a, it's a double, a double negative, And that's not a thing. I'm going to go give Brian Burke a hug right now. I think he needs one. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, you've cited a couple of reasons. I just want to make sure we understand. So you're saying you don't like where cap rates are. Uh, so you still think they're too low, at least on the buy side. Uh, uh, you cited earlier sluggish rent growth, uh, high capital costs. Is there anything else we're missing there that you don't like? Insurance. Oh, I'm, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't there, like, it. yeah, I don't like expenses. Uh, insurance rates are going up. Mm -hmm. uh, payroll is going up. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, all, all of your operating costs are increasing. So now you're in this weird position where operating costs are increasing. Cost of capital is increasing. Income is decreasing because rents are falling. You know, read the the stats are showing rents are falling, especially in markets that had big increases. Now you could say like, oh, well, you know, they had big increases. Now they have a decrease. No big deal. You're still up from where you were a couple of years ago. Yada, yada. Great. But that doesn't help you if you just bought six months ago, right? Because that was your starting point. So you got all those factors uh, are problematic. Now to make matters worse, when we're we're investing in these assets to do what? It's to earn a return, right? We're putting money into a deal with the hope that in the future, you're going to get more money back. That's the only reason we're in, that we're doing this. And in order to quantify how much money we're going to get back, we have to do financial modeling. And when we do financial modeling, we're using assumptions to determine what the income is going to be in the future and what the property's value will be in the future so we can see how much we're going to ultimately sell this property for and how much we're going to earn along the way. Now, 
if if I can't quantify the inputs going into this mathematical equation, I can't quantify the output. And that's the problem I'm struggling with right now. I don't know where interest rates are going to be six months, one year, two years from now. I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to go in the direction that I would find favorable and certainly not the direction where I think it's necessary at today's values. So so that one's out the window. I can't quantify where rent growth is because predictions are all across the map and uh, they're not what they were. And you can't look in the rear view mirror and say, well, it was 10%, so it'll be 10%. No, it won't. Uh, so that one's out the window. And then, uh, you know, on top of all that, you don't know where cap rates are. So how do you calculate your exit price if you don't know the cap rate? And I think cap rates are still too low. I mean, you it was one thing to buy four cap properties in a 3% interest rate environment when you had 10% or 15% rent growth. Uh, but four cap does not work in a zero percent rent growth, even if you didn't change the cost of the capital. Four cap also does not work in uh, with increasing rents, but high interest rates. Now you have decreasing rents and high interest rates and four caps are just a total joke. All right. Well, just end, let's just end that. I think the episode is over. It's over now. <laughs> if you were an animal, you would probably be a bear right now, right? An angry bear. <laughs> <laughs> it's realism. It's it's just it's demanding some realism in this market. Everybody wants to be rosy, like everything is going great. Don't you think there's going to be opportunity, though, Bear Man? Don't you think there's going to be opportunity coming down the pipe here, right? You know, this is like your bull optimist buddy over here talking, right? I was say, is this where you say moo or something like that? No, <laughs> I don't say moo. I say, right? Opportunity. Because I, I think that, that uh, I'll give you a few things that are on the other side of the coin, right? Um, equities expectations has not changed, right? Uh, maybe the amount of the folks you're talking to have or whatever. Yes, debt cost of capital has changed, but for even though you would think that it would, because an investor could just go popping their money into a mutual fund or a CD right now or whatever, make themselves four and a half, five percent, their expectations on PREF or expectations on IRR or returns on a deal uh, have maintained somewhat realistic. It hasn't changed. You know, they're not they're not expecting to make. You, you would think that investors made. 20, 25% IRR with uh, syndicators getting lucky and selling deals to the market being really hot the last couple of years, right? Investors were not uh, seasoned by that, and that's not what they expect anymore. Investors still, I think, I've seen investors expect 12, 13, 14% IRR on deals, and they're also willing to be even more patient, right? Um, I think that in addition, everything you just said is right. I'm not disagreeing with you said, but I'm just giving you another perspective, right? So I think that, that there is also opportunity to acquire, uh, deals for people that have to sell. Uh, there are maybe opportunities and this, this hasn't, this wave hasn't come through yet because it just takes a while for distressed properties to work their way through the system to get, you know, I know you were around in 2008, like I was when the market crashed in 2008, the distressed deals weren't on the market like a year after a, a month after that. It took like a year or so for that distress to work its way through. So that being said, I think you're, we're going to see maybe some more bank owned foreclosures uh, come under the market. I think we're going to see uh, owners that are going to get realistic that they just they're re they're going to realize they can't sell for their number that they that they need to sell for, and they're going to get more uh, more in tune here. Um, so I I'm waiting on I'm starting to see more of that. 
uh, more distress in the market, more people that have to sell versus those that want to sell. Um, and, and I think that in line with equity, in line with really good underwriting and factoring and everything you just said, I think will create opportunity and is, is beginning to create real opportunities that exist today. Well, I do agree with you that the investors' return expectations haven't really changed much. That, yes. that part, I'm on the same page with you. Uh, the difference that I see is that two years ago, we were um, driving a Corvette en route to that destination, and now we're driving a Tercel. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, with a quarter tank of gas. And, and so, you know, there, we're still trying to get there, but, uh, you know, the, it's just difficult to get those uh, mid-teens returns at where prices are today. I'm starting to see broken down Corvettes on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, I'll give you one more. We don't invest in top-tier markets. And that's something you and, I, you and I have always differed on that one, Brian. Like, we invest in sub-tier tertiary markets. Like, you know, the Piedmont Triad in North Carolina is one of our is one of our markets. Not like, like, I have a joke. If the city has a major league anything, I won't invest there. You know, like major league football, baseball, maybe hockey, you know, um, but, uh, but not, but not, you know, baseball or football. If that's a, if, you know, major league baseball, major league football has made a big investment there, not me. I'll go for where a minor league team is um, because the cap rates didn't push down as far as they did in, say, Greensboro as they did in Raleigh or in Charlotte or something like that. So, yes, I, I call those high barrier to exit markets. <laughs> no one but, wants to no, buy. I, su I suppose yeah. that makes it easier to buy, this though, is something right? We've debated on a lot, uh, Dave, <laughs> is that it's easy to get into, but hard to get out of, uh, of those That's markets. Right. But there are people that they're, you know, believe it or not, there are people that do want to buy uh, in the tertiary markets. Yes, there is. And there's arbitrage. There's arbitrage you can play. I don't care what the market looks like. You can play arbitrage. Yes. You, I, could, I could literally buy a deal today and it would work and I would confidently buy it and I could confidently pitch that to my investors, but it would be at a certain price. And yeah. the problem is, is that no one is willing to sell at that price right now. Now yeah. they will be when their back is against the wall, they will be. We're just, I just haven't seen it yet. But it does feel like it is coming down. The, I mean, things are moving downstream right now. We, we've seen some syndicators that maybe are a little bit newer to the, the, the market. They're getting caught with some bad debt right now and it's causing some issues or they're, they're midstream in a value, value add and their, and their costs are out of control. Uh, maybe their vacancy rate was a little bit higher than they expected during that transition. The turn, their, their debt has crept up on them on the bridge financing. And, and so Brian, if, if, the the one thing is yes nothing's making sense but sometimes that's the best time to buy a deal because things start falling apart and breaking down in the I feel like these opportunities are starting to come up we, you know we're we're starting to see some stuff that where we can stabilize out at like seven and a half eight cap in there which we would not be able to touch two years ago and so like as these things are kind of transitioning though does it also make you put your deal goggles on because when I see those things. Being able to buy that one rare deal, needle in the haystack, I get excited, and I'm like, okay, cool, we got we got some movement coming this way. Yeah, I mean that's the beginning of it. That's the spark lighting the fuse. But you know, for for me, our scale is a little bit larger. We need to see that I I can't just buy one needle in one haystack. Mm -hmm. You know, there needs to be a few needles in there to really make it worthwhile. Because that one needle in that one haystack is being chased by anybody that's going to try to find it. Now you can always find that one that nobody else had their eye on. And I've done really well over the years doing that, getting that one deal nobody knew about. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just don't think that they were there yet in enough quantity where it makes a ton of sense. And, and I think we'll get there and time will allow this to wash out. 
but you know, I, I, I just think there's another six months to a year of chaos that needs to play out before we get to a point where we can confidently say there's going to be enough deal flow at a fair enough valuation to make the effort worthwhile. So Brian, if you're not doing multifamily, are you doing anything else instead? Golf. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to improve my golf game. I, I actually, I just got an in-home golf simulator and I have my own driving range in my garage. All right. What's your handicap done in the last year then? How many, uh, how many strokes have you shaved? It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> absolutely terrible. I, I, I cannot break a hundred to save my life. And it's just because I'm not really good at sports and never have been. So I, you know, I've, uh, yeah, literally nothing. You know, it's like I, I sold three quarters of my multifamily portfolio right before the market started to tumble because I saw this coming and I'm like, we got to get out of all this stuff and sell it all while we still can. Um, I sold one of my companies and so I don't, I don't have to do anything. So uh, I'm just waiting for the right time. Now, when I was younger and broker... <laughs> Yeah, I, I was out hustling and trying to find deals and I'd look for any little pocket I could find that little shred of opportunity. I totally get it. Uh, the people that are listening to this podcast are like, hey, I'm newer in this business. I don't have the luxury of being able to sit there and not work for a year. Uh, I need to do something. Get out there and do it. That needle in that haystack that James talked about is out there if you can find it. I think you're going to find it probably in small multi. I think that's where the opportunity is mm -hmm. right now. I'm too lazy to do it, but I think if you, you know, if you have the, if you have the energy for it, go out there and look for your duplex, fourplex, you know, tenplex. Yeah. Because that's where you're going to find the quintessential tired landlord, right? Mm -hmm. Or that's where you're going to find the undercapitalized, unsophisticated owner that wants to get out of landlording and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's where you find those deals. You don't find those in 250 unit apartment complexes. People that own that stuff are generally well capitalized, professional. They do this for a living. Uh, they have resources and ways to weather the storm. Now, that doesn't mean they all do. There are certainly a lot of syndicators that got in this business over the last few years that probably never should have. This market will clean them out, but it's the, the deals are going to happen behind the scenes. You, you know, you casual investors are never going to see them. Uh, there's billions of dollars. In fact, I think I just saw an article the other day, $205 billion of capital sitting in dry powder on the sidelines by large PE waiting to buy distressed debt packages from these deals. And so what they'll do is they'll buy the debt at a discount and then they'll foreclose. But when they open the foreclosure bid, they're going to open it at full principal and interest. Uh, which will be more than the property is worth. So they'll get the property back and they'll buy the property before you ever see it. So I don't think we're going to see this big wave of foreclosures. All that's going to happen in so-called backdoor deals that aren't going to be, you know, out there on the forefront. Uh, so it's just, it's just going to take a while for all this cleanup to happen. That's all. If I may offer a alternative, it, it my way to look at it. First of all, the needle on the, the needle on the haystack is never on the market right? The needle in the haystack gets found behind the scenes. And the way you're going to find a needle in a haystack right now, and I'm talking to those listening on how to get going or how to scale up in today's uh, market. One thing I teach in the, um, in the Bigger Pockets Multifamily Bootcamp is about being market-centered, right? You are not going to find a, mar a needle in the haystack if you're just sitting around surfing LoopNet and waiting for a 8% cap rate deal to show up on LoopNet, right? Um, 
But you might find a deal that's that that pencils out and is a good deal if you pick a market, not seven, not not ten, not certainly not any more than one market that you want to become an expert in, and then drill into that market, and get to know the brokers, uh, and then yes, start. You could start small, as as Brian had said, if you've got the management. Uh, equation figured out on how to manage a 10, 15, 20 unit that you may find, go for it, right? You are going to see uh, more distress on the small side. Brian is right about that. But if you drill into a specific market, the brokers will certainly put the the fancy pants, 95% occupied, uh, 50% renovated apartment building with lots of value add, you know, uh, 1992 vintage, they will gladly put that all over the market and blast it to everybody. But what they're not going to do is they might not put the 75% occupied property where the person's run out of gas and true story guys, uh, property where the syndicator themselves, uh, has fired the construction crew and is in the, in the units themselves painting the apartments. We saw that deal. Like, not like that'd be like Brian or Matt painting the apartments and doing the renovations on their own because they couldn't get anybody to work for them anymore. Couldn't afford to pay the labor. So the, the, the operator decided to be the labor, right? Um, that opportunity, uh, those opportunities are out there, but you're certainly not going to see a broker mass marketing that opportunity. They're going to walk around and make that a pocket listing or just find somebody who's willing to give a good number for that deal because the broker's not going to put their name on it or do a big blast on it or anything like that. Deals like that, maybe sellers are a little embarrassed about what, they, what they're dealing with. They don't want 30, 40 different groups tramping through the property. Maybe they don't want to tell their on-site staff that they're selling. So deals like that are going to get sold more behind the scenes. And if you guys want to get plugged into those needle in a haystack behind the scenes deals, you got to become uber market centered. And they're starting to happen now. We've seen them and there's going to be way more of them soon. And I also agree with Brian on the foreclosure thing. He's probably right. Private, private equity probably is going to buy up a lot of that. And, and that, and we probably won't see it, but there's sort there'll, there'll be some distressed, uh, seller to owner stuff that'll happen too. So Matt, are you just, you're just out there looking for deals and not pulling the trigger? Are you, are you actually doing anything, shifting any of your money out of multifamily into other asset classes? Making a lot of offers, but you don't make money making offers, do you? <laughs> doing a lot of podcasts. That's, <laughs> that's it. I know. I am. Uh, this, this, this is a lot of fun, but doesn't pay well. So, um, so I, uh, I, what, I, what we are doing is, uh, yet again, I want, like I said, I want to be Brian. I do respect Brian quite a bit and I, I do kind of follow a lot of what he's done. And so he's done very well with hard money. Right. Um, and so we, uh, have launched a fund, uh, that puts money into hard money assets, which what hard money gets used during times of distress, right? If you, if you could borrow money from a bank, you would, uh, you borrow money from hard, you, you get money, hard money because you have to, because you've got something that needs to go from A to B call it bridge capital. If you want to call it something nicer than that. Um, but there's becoming a lot more hard money that's going to be used to take things to transition assets that maybe, you know, need to get around second base, so to speak, and get brought home. So we've launched a fund that's doing very well. Uh, that's just deploying, uh, capital into, uh, bridge deals, um, smaller stuff, not big, big, big multifamily stuff. These are like, little duplexes, triplexes. We're doing an office building, hard money loan, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a great way to create cash flow now because multifamily's gotten away from cash flow over the years. It's more of an appreciation game where it has been recently. Um, but the fundamental of multifamily used to be cash flow. And what's great about hard money is that cash flow is day one. And so we really have been pushing that hard while we still bid 
I, I don't know, we might underwrite, we, we probably get to between 10 and 15 multifamily deals a week that our team is underwriting as well, hoping to catch something. And Matt, you've got a good point there about, you know, the hard money thing. The other, the other advantage of that is it allows investors a place to invest capital yep. in this market and earn a return. I mean, we're doing the same thing. We started a, we started a debt fund, you know, a couple of years ago and, you know, it was kind of a, follow on to my, the company that we sold was a, was a loan originator, a hard money loan originator. And, uh, so we, we flipped to the other side and became a debt buyer a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. We got about 50 million in our portfolio, but we're able to get investors an immediate return versus with multifamily ownership. It just takes so long to get there. And right now we can give more cash on cash return with debt than we can, uh, with equity. So it gives investors a place to put money while they wait for the next multifamily cycle to come back. And, and I just think right now I'm, I'm more focused on risk than I am on reward because I, I think, you know, in order for us to earn a return in the next market up cycle, we have to survive the market down cycle without losing principal. So if you can put your money into a debt vehicle, I just think you're somebody else's money is in first loss position, right? Our, our average loan to value ratio is 65%. That means somebody else uh, has 45% uh, or 35% equity in the deal that they can lose before we ever get touched. And so to me, that's a downside risk protection. So I think people need to think about containing their risk first, uh, finding avenues for cash flow with good risk management, and forget about your pie in the sky, double digit, mid-teens returns for now. Those days will come back. And in fact, when they do come back, they'll probably outperform. You know, it's like when you know, three years ago, four years ago, when we were projecting 15% IRRs on our deals, we were delivering 20s, 30s, 70 in one case. So, you know, those returns are really good when the market is really taking off. Uh, those days will, they will be back. I'm not long-term bearish on uh, real estate, the market, or multifamily. I'm short-term bearish. And I, that's all going to change. The problem is I don't know when. Is it going to change next week, next month, next year, or two or three years from now? I can't call it yet. You'll have to have me back on the show before you have Matt come back on. Because I've got... I don't want to have him beat me the second time around. Uh, then at some point I'll be able to figure out when that's going to happen, but I can't figure it out just yet. No, and I love the debt model. I, I've been lending hard money for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was uh, 20, it was 2008, the market just crashed. I met this <laughs> private money lender and he had a gold chain and he would charge us four points <laughs> and 18%. And I remember I was like, I want to be that guy when I'm right. older, <laughs> like lending out the money. Because uh, it is, you're right. It, it gives you a much safer loan to value position. We do a lot of private money, hard money loans out in Washington. You know, as debt becomes harder to get, right, it, it's a great engine because you can get a high yield. But going back to the multifamily conversation, the good thing about it is it's, you don't get taxed at the same rate that you get as ordinary income coming through, yeah. right? It's a high return, high tax. And I guess since the we brought up debt, what do you guys suggest, you know, hard money, people are starting to use it more for these value add multifamily deals too that are a little bit hairier they got a lot more construction going on the commercial debt's gotten a lot tougher to get you know they don't want to lend you as much money it costs more 
What what are you guys seeing on the commercial debt side right now as far as apartment financing and for people that are looking at buying that 10, 20, 30 unit buildings, right? Because that's where a lot of the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. What kind of commercial debt and who they, should they be talking to? I know we, we're just we're doing a lot of local lenders where we're moving assets over to them to give us more lending power uh, because the more assets you bring them, the more flexible they are with you. What are things that you guys are seeing as you're looking at maybe buying that next deal or one day if I can get Brian a good enough deal, maybe he'll buy it. What what would you be doing to, to lock down that debt? The um well, okay, the deal's big enough and it doesn't need that much renovation. The the agency debt, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are, are still probably the best out there that you're gonna get because they're government backed. The yield spread they're willing to take is a lot less than what you're gonna see elsewhere. So they're still putting money on the street at like six point eight, nine, you know, uh, I'm sorry, five point eight, five point nine, maybe six point one, somewhere in there, which is about as low as you're gonna get. Um, but if you need any renovation dollar at all, if you want to renovate the, the the property and do some value add, the you get two choices, right? You can either get that money from your investors and raise it, and then hopefully you can recapitalize the property and refinance it, or you create enough value add cash flow that the investors are happy with what they're getting, right? Which is that's what we do. We just do we just do renovations with investor capital. We just you know, just raise what we need for renovations. The other way you can go about it, James, is you could if you're buying that 20, 30, 40 unit, right? Uh, a lot of small community banks hmm. on the small side are going would be willing to lend that to you. Uh, maybe a fixed rate debt as well, right? So what scares me is floating rate debt. Because uh, no, no telling where it's going to go, and then there's this awful, awful, terrible invention called a rate cap. Actually, it's not a bad thing, but they're just so crazy expensive now um, that uh, that you'll have to buy to stop your rate from going up. And they can really, the cost of those things can really, uh, you know, kill the deal. So uh, if you can get small community bank debt, like not a bank that has their name on the side of a stadium, um, but you know, small banks that maybe has five to 10 branches just in the market that you're investing in, they might be willing to throw in renovation capital as well, and maybe offer to roll, do what's called rolling up to perm, where they can uh, give you acquisition debt and construction debt, and then they'll give you, um, they'll, they'll transition that loan over to a permanent loan uh, and start amortizing it over time once you're done your work. Um, the only just asterisk I'll put on there is a lot of times, almost all the time, that debt is uh, recourse, meaning you have, to, you have to sign off on a personal guarantee. So you have to be okay with that. Yeah, I think Matt's, Matt's nailed it as far as most of those financing sources are concerned. I think I, to, to that, I'd add that you know private money is a source to use when you can't find anybody, you know, any banks or agencies to loan, uh, more unique scenarios, heavier lifts. That's where your private money comes in. It's a little bit more expensive on an interest rate. It also has a pretty short maturity. There's unique situations where that works. Now you, you really have to be confident that you can execute in the time frame that you have allotted because I think the biggest killer in, you know, real estate in terms of sponsors having a lot of difficulty is in short term maturities. And, you know, it's amazing how fast time goes by. And if you take out a three year loan with two one year extension options and you think that's forever from now, well, three years goes by in the snap of a finger in this business. Mm -hmm. And then if things don't go according to plan, you might not qualify for those one year extensions. And now you're completely stuck. So you really have to be careful, you know, about loan maturities. Now, in one place I differ from Matt and I get to disagree with him again, which I love is, uh, you know, I, I like floating rate debt. And, you know, most people think like, you're nuts. Why would you want to take on interest rate risk? And, you know, the reality of it is, is if 
interest rates right now are at a all-time high. And when I say all-time, I don't mean all-time, all-time. I mean like in the last, call it decade, interest rates are higher than they've been in a decade. Do I want to lock in fixed rate debt at you know, high historically high interest rates, you know, in, in relation to this kind of short term history. I don't. I want to see it float down. Now, the other problem is when commercial real estate now, it, residential real estate, totally different ballgame. I love fixed rate. All any residential property I've ever owned has had 30 year fully amortizing fixed rate debt. I wouldn't do anything, anything other than that. But in a commercial space, you don't get 30 year fully amortizing fixed rate debt. You get any kind of debt that you get in commercial real estate that has a fixed rate is going to have some kind of prepayment penalty. And it might be a fixed percentage of the loan amount, in which case that's not so bad. It might be a concept called yield maintenance, which mm -hmm. is astronomically horrible. Yield maintenance means if I take out a 10 year loan, I'm essentially telling that lender they're going to get all 10 years of interest. And if I have this deal that I'm going to buy, fix up and resell in, let's say three years or five years. I've still got to pay the other five or seven years of interest to that lender that I'm not even borrowing their money. Uh, and when you add up the cost of that, it's enormously expensive. It can cost you millions of dollars. Now, do I want to do that when rates are high? No, because that means I can't refi if rates go down. And if the property value goes up, I can't sell either. I painted myself into a corner. Now, I like floating because it doesn't have that kind of a penalty. Now, floating, on the other hand, has one risk, and that is if interest rates move high fast, it really sucks to be in floating rate debt. And what just happened? Interest rates moved higher than anyone ever imagined, faster than anyone's ever seen. And this is the worst time to have been in floating rate debt in probably 20 or 30 years. And I have floating rate debt on the assets that I own, and it sucks. Now, we don't know yet whether or not fixed would have been any better because if I go to sell in a year or two, I might have had yield maintenance that would have killed it anyway. So nobody really knows. The jury isn't out until the whole thing is done. But debt isn't a simple yes or no question. Debt is a very complex question that you have to tailor to your specific circumstance on the deal that you're doing. That's fantastic advice, Brian. Thank you. And yeah, I think uh, for all of you who are considering multifamily or currently investing in multifamily, uh, highly recommend learning more about the debt structures. Mm -hmm. It's something I feel still like a novice on. And uh, thank you for for teaching us a bit about it, Brian. But it's a lot riskier and a lot more complex uh, than residential financing. So hopefully you all can take the time to uh, to learn it. Maybe maybe that's what you should spend this time doing instead of buying Tails Pride. Is everyone should be learning about commercial debt right now so that they can apply what they learn when the market cycle changes a little bit. Well, I've been saying, Dave, for a while, this is a fantastic time to build your business. This is the time where you should be learning everything you can about debt, building your investor base, building your broker network, building your systems. Because you know what? When the market gets really good, you're going to be busy doing deals and you're not going to have time to refine your systems and sharpen your tools. No. This is when you sharpen your tools and then you use them when the market is really good. So this is an opportunity. Take it. Yeah. And and I just would just tag like I would be I would work really hard on infiltrating a specific market right now. Um, we're not going wide. We're going deep as a company. We're like we've, we're not pay picking new markets. We're just trying to make new friends in the markets that we're already investing in. Um, cause that's how we're going to find those needles in the haystack and in, in today's times. So the worst thing I think you could do 
is is to dilute yourself and go go wider than you should as this market's a little squirrely right now. All right. Well, we, we, we'll end on an amicable, friendly note like that with you two <laughs> agreeing with each other yeah. and offering such great advice. Yes. Brian, if people want to learn more about you and what you're not doing right now, uh, <laughs> where should they find you? <laughs> Well, we are doing a debt fund. Uh, you yeah, can, that's fair. True. Sure. You can uh, you can learn more about us at uh, our website, praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Investor Brian Burke. You can check out my book, biggerpockets.com forward slash syndication book. Or you can meet him at the Top Golf down the block from his house, which is- Yes, or you can meet me at BPCon, yeah. where I will be moderating the panel on multifamily- Actually, it's just on syndication, not specifically multifamily, but the panel on syndication. All right, great. And Matt, what about you? Uh, they can uh, learn more about my company, DeRosa Group, at our uh, webpage, DeRosa Group, D-E-R-O-S-A Group. Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at the Matt Faircloth, And uh, they can also see me at Bigger Pockets at our booth that we have there at Bigger Pockets. They can come see me at the multifamily networking session that we're running there as well. Uh, so we're going to be all over BPCom with me and my team from DeRosa. So really excited to connect with all the BP uh, people at that uh, at that event. And, and seeing Brian as well. And Brian, and I are actually really good friends. We actually have a lot of fun pretending to disagree with each other, but I, um, I, I'm just a little more of an optimist and uh, about about things, but I really appreciate people like Brian uh, that can give me more of a real perspective on the world versus like best case scenario, which is that's the world I tend to live <laughs> in in my brain. So, <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate your both of your incredible experience and knowledge and sharing it with us here today. And of course, we'll have to have you both back on soon. Hopefully, when we have a little bit better line of sight on what's going to be happening so we can start hearing some of the strategies that you're both employing to start jumping back into the market. But who knows when that will be. All right, Brian, Matt, thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks for having us, Dave. Thanks, James. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. We were just completely useless in that conversation, I feel like. Like, we did not need to be here for that entire thing. No, we just needed to do the intro and the outro, Dave, and let him, let him go. That was one of the more entertaining episodes I've been on. This is perfect. Like, it's basically just like you and I get to invite people we want to learn from, let them talk, and I'm just sitting here, like, taking notes, like, not to ask my next question, just, like, for my own investing. I'm just like, <laughs> it's basically our own personal boot camp or webinar or mastermind or something. They, those two, uh, super entertaining, but also just extremely experienced and knowledgeable. I, I, I learned a lot. Yeah, that's a great perk about our gig. We get to talk to really <laughs> cool people. And it was awesome to have both perspectives, you know, because everyone has an opinion on what's going on right now and getting – both sides of the spectrum, Brian being very conservative right now. It was nice to hear that it's okay, right? Like he's like, hey, I'm good to wait this out. I've done really, really well. And it's not for everybody, but but that's what he's going to stick with. So it's just a great perspective. Yeah, I think that the thing that I walked away with is that for someone like Brian, you just like think about his business model. He has been managing funds for multiple decades. The way he makes money is by collecting tens of millions of dollars from passive investors and investing them into multifamily. So his whole point is like right now, he could probably raise money. I bet he can. But there's just not enough good deals for him to deploy that capital. So he's not going to raise the money. 
for someone who's just looking for one deal or for two deals, you might be able to hustle into good deals right now. He said that himself. And so I think that was just a really interesting perspective. If you're a smaller investor or, you know, someone like you, James, who just knows your market extremely well and are willing to take, you know, deal flow where it's just one successful deal out of every hundred deals you underwrite, that's totally fine. But I think it, it sort of makes sense to me that Brian, given his business model and how his business operates, is being more conservative. Yeah, and I think that's the right approach, especially when you're dealing with that much of investor capital. And then it was good to hear Matt, you know, hey, we haven't bought anything, but that doesn't mean we're not swinging every month. You know, they're swinging every month and he just wants to make contact on something. And, you know, depending on what you want to do as an investor, both neither positions are wrong or right. You just kind of want to figure out where your risk tolerance is and, and how you want to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And and totally agree on debt working really well right now. If you are uh, know how to, uh, you know, to lend money or are an accredited investor and can participate in debt funds, uh, it's a great way to get uh, cash flow right now. So definitely agree with both of them on that. On the other hand, I, you know, think it's just a bit more waiting. Like, I, are you still, it sounds like you're still looking at multifamily deals, right? Yeah, we're always looking. And there's, you know, we were actually at a fairly good one in Seattle recently, a couple of days ago. So there's buys out there. It's, it's kind of good for us kind of middlemen guys that are in that 30 to 50 range. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're like Brian, that the big, the bigger stuff just doesn't have the margin in it. So 30, 50 units, you mean? Yeah, it's like kind of no man's land, like right now. Like not a people, a lot of people are looking. So the margin is a little bit better. The sellers are being realistic and, you know, but it takes a lot of swings and, and that's okay. Just keep swinging until you make contact. And, you know, the, I think the biggest thing is don't get itchy finger. Just be patient and, and you'll get what you're looking for. Stick to that buy box number you need. Yeah, absolutely. Very good advice. All right. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to this episode of On The Market. We'll see you for the next episode, which will come out this Friday. On The Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content. And we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.